Hi there, and welcome to the Nerds of Business podcast. My name is Darren Moffat. I'm a director at WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency, and I'm your host. It's great to have you with us for episode three of the branding series. If you're new to this podcast, our mission is to solve the key challenges all entrepreneurs must overcome one problem at a time. And we do it with the help of a rotating cast of top entrepreneurs and marketing experts. Together, we all kind of nerd out on the topic at hand to get some definitive answers for you, our listeners. To achieve that, sometimes we zoom in on one particular vertical to illustrate a wider point. Today, it's the music industry's turn. The music business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There's also a negative side. That quote is by the famous writer Hunter S. Thompson. It always brings a smile to my face. And if you've ever worked in the music industry, you'll recognise both the truth and the delicious humour of those words. They were perhaps never more so apposite than in the freewheeling 1970s, which is where our opening story begins. is 1976 and a fledgling Australian rock band called ACDC are gearing up for the launch of their second album. Their manager and record company are desperately looking for a fresh angle to promote the new release. They know that if they can generate enough buzz and excitement about the first single, sales for the album will be more likely to take off and make everyone involved a lot of money. At the time, the band's leader and rhythm guitarist Malcolm Young is good friends with Australian music industry figure, Molly Meldrum. Molly is the host of new Australian TV show, a kind of precursor to MTV called Countdown. By 1976, ACDC are already infamous for their live performance. So Molly and Malcolm come up with the genius idea of setting up the band on the back of a flatbed truck and driving around the streets of Melbourne while they play the song to the public. And Molly ensures the whole thing is filmed by the Countdown TV crew. The raw footage is then edited and dubbed with the studio recording of the song and, rumour has it, crowd noise from the stadium concert of another artist to make it sound bigger. The finished product is what we now call a music video, but for 1976, it was a revolutionary new promotional tool. The film clip is first played on the Countdown TV show and is an instant sensation. It soon appears everywhere and eventually becomes the iconic tune we know today. The song in question? It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. It's the first single from Highway to Hell, which goes on to sell a whopping 22 million copies, one of the biggest selling albums in history. And it all started with the launch of that first single on the back of a truck in downtown Melbourne, Australia. If you're wondering why I've begun this episode with a music industry story, I have a confession to make. Before I became a middle-class, middle-aged entrepreneur and podcast host, I played in and managed bands for years. And I can tell you that launching an album is exactly like launching a new brand or product for a business. 
And most bands, just like most startups, are competing for attention with hundreds of competitors who seem better, bigger, and more well-funded. But a launch campaign is an opportunity to level the playing field, at least for a little while. If you bring enough creativity and energy, you might just elevate your brand above the fray for long enough to gain traction in the market. It is a long way to the top for most business owners. But what can you do to make your launch so successful it sets your brand on the path to fame and glory? I love data. I, I love kind of looking through the data. You need to have systems, you need to have structure. You're going to get chopped to pieces. Enthusiasm is unstoppable. We kind of hit a point where we were like, we need another lever. Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and richer than you. <laughs> this is Nerds of Business. So, the problem we're trying to solve, and the title of today's episode is. How to launch a brand with no money, get heaps of attention, and look like a complete superstar. We've got some great guests with some truly amazing tales. Up soon, you'll hear our feature story about the launch of Peanut Butter World and how Pick Pico, the founder of Pick's Peanut Butter, created his own mini theme park to take his brand to the next level. But first, here's just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying Nerds of Business, to please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. It means you'll automatically receive each new episode every fortnight, and it makes it easier for us to stay in touch. It might sound like an obvious question, but if you're considering a brand or product launch, when is the right time? At what point in the life cycle of the business should you run a launch campaign? <laughs> I'd love to say when you're ready, but... <laughs> um, I do, I do think, you know, when, when you're ready is a good, is good. So yep. you, you do need the product or thereabouts. Yep. Um, you do need to have, you know, how are you going to communicate it? You mm. need to understand what your objectives are. Do you have enough salespeople? Do, will you have enough stock? You know, all yep. of these sorts of questions. There's no yep. point in going out and launching a brand mm. if you're not going to be able to supply people with sure. the product. Yep. Yep. Um, so you need, do need to make sure that you have all of those those four to seven Ps. <laughs> yeah, you need to have them all lined up and ready for launch. That's Rachel Bevins from the Healthy Brand Company. She's one of our two branding experts for this series, and she's worked on brand product launches for some globally recognised brands. I asked her what's normally involved for the brand launch of a small business or startup. So. Depending on how big or small you are, you obviously need your employees to all know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so they are your first port of call okay. and you give them the key messages. So if you've got a team of 10, they're yeah. your number one advocates. Okay, so sure. Yeah. really make sure that your team is all equipped. And actually it's one thing that people kind of forget to do. So whether it's your receptionist or mm -hmm. your um, even your, your accountant or whoever it is, mm -hmm. is make sure that your employees know yep. what you're all about and give them the messages to spread at the barbecue yeah yeah <laughs> then you've got so you've got that piece and then you've got the trade the trade launch so if you need to be appearing in the supermarket or mm -hmm. um whether or in stores or wherever you're actually being distributed you'll need to do some sort of so, trade so your launch. point of sale stuff yeah point of sale uh, yep. so out through the distributors 
partners. Yeah, because yeah. you'll actually launch to them as well. So if you want to be distributed, if you're a soup and you want to be distributed in winter, then you'll probably be doing your trade launch in December, in January, in Feb, uh, sorry, November, December, yep. so that they can then list it in February so that then you're actually on shelf for, mm-hmm. for the winter months. And and what about events? Like um, what? how do... How do you know, how should small businesses and entrepreneurs use events to generate some heat, you know, some, yep. some excitement, some interest about their, their new brand, their new business? Yeah, so, they're the, so the third element of those, so the th- third or key audience is your PR and your key influencers. Yep. So that, and that's really why you have events is to get those people um, yep. involved. So you would probably bring, you may bring your trade along to that as well as your um, all of your PR people with some key publications that you want to be in, yep. in, involved in. Um, or as it might be some key influential customers. You know, you've identified some really um, some influencers that you want to be, bring along. You might have you should already have your brand ambassadors sorted. So brand ambassadors, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what about the goodie bag? <laughs> <laughs> There's the goodie bag. How important is the good? Because you know, I've been to a couple of brand launches over over time, and um, I've mostly blagged my way in. You know, through a friend. Um, but I, I you know. Inevitably, they've got a goodie bag, and you walk away with a goodie bag. And um, it seems to me that that's quite important because it, that's your little opportunity to say, "Here's what we do, what we stand for." Um, but it's also the law of recipro- reciprocity. I'm giving you some free stuff, so you'll go away and talk about me in a nice way. So, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the goodie bag is is critical, but also to get them if you've got a product that they can try to get them to try the product yep. and then they'll be, they will be advocates for your yep. brand and that will happen in a lot of in the personal care area mm-hmm. and a lot of the um, alcoholic drinks area, you yes. know, when you've got sort of, when you've got products, yes. it's quite easy to give them to. You're not insinuating that, that media and, and, and PR people are like a drink, are you? I mean, yeah. that, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's a new concept. Um, but sometimes a different approach to launch is required. Here, Rachel shares the example of how and why the brand launch of, say, a tech startup might differ to a standard consumer product. The only thing I would say about that is that um, there are a lot of um, technology brands out there that are probably not doing that and don't need to do that because they will launch in some in some sort of beta version, yeah. And they'll launch in a smaller version, uh, smaller version to try and figure out what the whether they've covered the need, have they got them any problems and so yeah. forth. So they'll do like soft launches. Soft launches. Yeah. It might be more of a. I mean, it's more of what I would classify a test market, but they're still launching to market. Yes. And talking to people about it, and and then. Um, I guess narrowing their their user experience and also their um, customer proposition yep. as they go over time. So mm-hmm. I think that works quite well with technology, as you can adapt that yes. over time. Very. But quickly. if you're running a straight out consumer product, product you've really got to have everything ready before you go and launch it. So brand launches sound like they take a lot of time and effort to get right. It sounds like a lot of work. You might already be asking yourself, mm, is it really all worth it? Why should a small business allocate scarce resources to a launch campaign that could easily fail? Well, let's find out why brand launches are so important. Well, because you're you're cementing your positioning. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it, it, you know it's it's like a jet. It's about to elevate into the sky. If it doesn't get it right there, it's going to collapse and crash. Yep. 
you know, if I can use that as a metaphor, right? Yeah. So, so you got you got to get that right. Now, if you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world, mm-hmm. okay? Because I believe, you know, uh, with the right team, miracles happen, okay? Yeah. But why create that? Why don't you do it right from the start? So the launch is really about setting the brand on the right trajectory. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And giving it some some power and thrust to extend the metaphor, so that the journey, its journey into the world has some energy, some momentum, and you're taking key influences along with you. Would that be right? Spot on. Yeah. Okay. Key influences of all dif- descriptions. Well, of course, we've spoken about media, um, but it could be investors. You know, uh, it could be it could be actually you know, and this is interesting because this is small business. This is actually very important. It could be your bank manager mm-hmm. that doesn't even know what you do. Yeah. But if you campaign that right and keep them in the loop with some of the really cool stuff you're doing, next time you go for a bank loan, they might look after you a little bit differently. Yeah. And I say that because a lot of bank managers right now are giving small business and startups a hard time. Mm-hmm. Okay. If the business had been smarter along the way, you know, but they don't because they get too busy. Mm. You know, they're chasing their tail. But going back to that, it's been proactive. That's John Michael from The Image Group. He's the second of our resident experts for this series on branding. And he's got some super valuable insights on the role your personal networks play in the success or failure of any launch campaign. Um, I think part of what you're saying there is when you – Look at your invite list, who you're going to get involved in this launch. Don't look just to the obvious. Look to the contacts that you've got in your network that uh, maybe don't get invited to something like this every day, but could be great advocates or have their own powerful networks that they can hook you into. Um, Is that something that you advise clients when they're doing a launch to really think hard about? Uh, 100%. I mean, we've got a whole system about the networks, right? That's why I said about leverage before. Yep. Uh, Networks are everything. You know, networks, you know, I mean, what I say is basically, honestly, give me a dumb guy with all the connections as, a, as opposed to a smart guy with nobody. Now, what does that mean? That means at least with the connections, I'll be able to leverage those very quickly. Yep. But to actually build those connections takes 10, 20 years. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, I think we underplay that, right? We underplay that. But anyone that's come from, you know, and I've got different type of clients right across the board because, again, I'm eclectic. But, you know, some of my established clients, i.e., let's say, from, you know, a club system, right? Okay, a private club system. You don't even have to tell them about this. Yeah. You speak to a lot of small businesses. They think they know it, but they don't. Yeah. Now, again, I link this, the networks, as an essential component here because in the crisis we're entering right now that we're in, you better have some damn good networks. Mm. And, well, if you study, and if you study individuals and businesses with strong networks, I promise you we can do it before and after. You'll see where they'll be in 12 months' time yeah. compared to others with no networks. Uh, again, I think that's a really uh, great insight. You know, there's that old saying that in business never walk alone you know yeah. i mean the more partners and 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 close um associates are you, are you a liverpool supporter <laughs> no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Why, why do you ask that? Is that is that? That's their song. That's their song. There you go. Never walk alone. Never walk alone. No, um, it's uh, it's just a little phrase that you know I've picked up over the years, and I put great store in it. And, and look, I went through uh, in my finance business uh, uh, twelve years ago in the GFC. That was the last big crisis in the yeah. world, and my little finance business at that time had only been going for two years, and it was. You know, it was vulnerable, but we got through and I look back on it now and part of the reason we got through was because of the networks that I had. So I really see the value in what you just said there and I think that's a really important message for anyone listening today that, you know, networking is kind of old school, you know, I mean, everything, like everyone likes the shiny new stuff these days, but it's kind of the bedrock to business and you really, you have to invest the time in building proper networks not just social media networks yeah that's right and we're talking about offline networks here not facebook networks that's right we're talking about real human beings and this is the real networks yeah you know and you said about you know uh that you obviously your business had uh, uh some challenges to uh the gfc well my business in 87 89 prior you know we had all the stuff going plus we had property development i lost 10 million dollars right Jeez. Yeah. And that was, you know, 30 years ago, virtually. Yeah. You know, whatever. So my point I make with that is, um, you know, this is what what brings you back. It's your connections and your networks, yep. including, by the way, family networks. Yes. Okay. Let's not divorce that out of and just keep a business because for me, they're all intertwined. Yep. Right. So, um, you know, and there's a good tip. For your listeners, it's good to actually make a whole list right now. Who are your networks? Yeah. And if you haven't got any on there, trust me, you will have some. Okay. That's a great starting point. Yeah. Even starting with zero is a good starting point in reference to, you know, analyzing who are your networks. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, basically, you can use that as an action step. So what are some of the key practical steps you need to take to give your launch every chance of success? For this, I turn back to Rachel Bevins from The Healthy Brand Company. What about the idea of that pre, during and post? So for an event, it's you know building up a bit of pre-excitement, yep. actually having the event, giving away some, you know, um, example goods, goodie bag, whatever, and then post. Yep. Uh, and I guess maybe the post might be an interesting thing to talk about. What should you do after you've had the event to maximise the effectiveness of the brand launch? Yeah, I mean, if you're talking to those key people, it really is following up those key people. Yeah. <clears throat> so if you're, if you have sort of told them what they're what they're going to expect, you know, why you want, why you're, why you're interested in them coming along, and why you're really important to them, then they'll. It's it's worthwhile having those conversations afterwards as well to say okay you know what else what can we work on here mm-hmm. um, how do we actually make this happen yeah so you can't just like leave it there you know you go to no. all the trouble and have the event you know um, get to know them a little bit they walk away um, you know feeling good about your business or your brand but of course then you've got to follow them up so that means probably some some you know, nice looking email yeah uh, putting them on the database yep. maybe phone call um, and and. What about just the, the, the sort of the classic uh, tactic of asking for something? So that is, hey, 
okay, do you mind writing us about writing about us in yeah. the in you know the next issue of X magazine or whatever? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there are different editors, and depending on what their workload is like as well. And some people really like to uh, and are happy to come up with ideas um, um, and actually mm. generate ideas for you, and mm. say you sort of like end up with a, a longer term arrangement with them, and say, okay, so we want this as a, t- a twelve month thing. What can we what can we do in terms of, and have a partnership with them? Mm-hmm. of some sort mm-hmm. um, to really gain maximum effect and it might be let's say it's a publication you go over the next 12 months we'd like you know 12 different executions per what, mm-hmm. whatever that is whether it's a sampling thing or an article written or it's a, a mini event or whatever it is yep. and get them to come up with those ideas that actually really work for their audience and for um, yeah for their audience and their brand that works well for you as well. So it's really doing working that in co-partnership. And other, uh, other editors really are stacked and they want the ideas themselves. So they say, okay, you guys write the content for us or you go and uh, you do this, this mm-hmm. and this and then um, and basically give it to us and then we'll use it. Right. So brand launches are really about um, getting into the psychology of some of the, the media and the industry press that you're going to use and understanding yep. that they've got some needs that you can help them out with, particularly around content. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And influencers are the same. Like some are really, really great at ideas and others say, like, I just want to be. At this point, I think it's also important to hear the entrepreneur perspective. Andre Eichmeyer is the founder of online wine retailer Vino Mofo. Now, you might remember Andre from episode one. He was our feature story on how to create a brand that's so good it can take you from startup all the way through to a $100 million brand, just like Vino Mofo. Listen to what Andre has to say about the importance of community for driving customer enthusiasm for your launch. I've always been of the school where, quick, let's just get it up and get it out there and then build it as we go. Yeah. But, well, probably the most successful brand launch was Vino Mofo. And so let's look at the steps to that. We had spent four years building a community of people who cared about what we stood for, not with the product. That was the groundwork. We then ran a registration, like a, you know, register your interest, this is coming. So we had a timeline, we had a, a countdown, we created some impetus around that, mm-hmm. and we built some excitement and momentum toward it. And then it launched and it was something very simple and easy to understand. Yep. It was one, one, one thing. So I guess they were the ingredients of it. We we had an audience, we had a community built that were together because they cared about something and were had a, shared a common interest and a common set of values around a product. And then we built up some tension to those people and used that tension to spread hopefully a bit wider than those people. And then and then we launched with something that was simple and easy to understand. Fantastic. I mean that, that's a real. Uh, telling insight, you know, that I think a lot of entrepreneurs can really take from. It's about you know, building the community first, you know, before you go and launch the product. Um, and it's often, uh, it's not easy, you know. It's, it's, if everyone could build a community, uh, there'd be a lot more people doing it. Um, you don't build a community around a product. You build a community around what you stand for. If you're a lover of peanut butter, then today's feature story has probably already piqued your interest. But even if you're not mad for peanut butter, there's still loads of value in the interview with my next guest. You might remember him from episode two on brand positioning. Pick Pico is the founder of Pick's Peanut Butter, one of the world's most beloved peanut butter brands. 
It operates out of Nelson in New Zealand and has an annual turnover of over $30 million. You're about to hear the fascinating story of how Pick launched Peanut Butter World and the impact it had on his business. Of course, your Peanut Butter World, and I'd, I'd really love to uh, hear you talk about that. You've recently uh, launched this, and it must have been a huge yeah. undertaking. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that and why you took that step? Why did you launch Peanut Butter World? Uh, well, Peanut Butter World is, you know, a, a, a peanut butter experience. So people can come here and see where their peanut butter is made yep. and meet us, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and when our first, our second little factory, we put a window in the side of the process room and, and invited people down to come and, you know, have a look at it. It was really popular. We couldn't get a lot of people through, you know, maybe 30 people a day maximum. Um, but to my mind, um, you know, we have these customers and fiercely loyal customers. It's just, it, I would never, before I got involved in this business, I would have never imagined people could have held such affection for a grocery item, you know? Yep. I was never like that, you know, and there was nothing I thought, wow, I couldn't live without this, these, you know, whatever. Um, so it, it amazed me how much, you know, how much people love the product and, and, they wanted to come here. They wanted to come and meet us. They wanted to know about it. And these customers are everything to us. That's why we're here. You know, they, they've paid for everything. And, and so it's our opportunity to thank them, to show them what we're doing with their money, because it's their money we're spending. And, you know, to hopefully, you know, be worthy of them telling their friends and continuing to support us and, and, and that sort of thing. And it has been phenomenal. You know, we, we have free tours here and we get we get up to, up to you know, 150 people a day coming through and, and um, seeing us making the peanut butter. Wow. It's so valuable for, for, for us here, for our own staff, to see those people coming through and being so enthralled, really, and so enthusiastic and interested in, in what we're doing. So... It gives all of us who come to who work here, you know, a reason why we love it, we, why we're here, and we see these, we see the appreciation these people hold our work in, you know. Yeah. So everybody in the factory making the stuff, they see these people coming around, and, and they and they know that you know their work is valued, and that's really really important. Right? What aspects do you think were, were key to the successful launch of Peanut Butter World? I, I think it's the town that we're in, you know. So we're based here in Nelson. It's yep. a small town of 40,000 people only in Nelson. And it's the top of the South Island. And as and being in a, you know, it's where we're held. The community here in Nelson has been incredibly supportive of us. You know? yep. And anything we're able to do for the community really gets notice. Yep. And... And we have such loyal supporters who are all very proud of us and can justifiably uh, feel proud of, of having grown the business for us, you know. So it's the Nelson community that was that is here for the launch. I mean, there were a few people who flew in from around the place, including yep. one or two from the UK and a bit from Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it was the people of Nelson here, and, and they've been watching this building being built over the last, you know, 12 months. We put a great big sign in the window opening on the 26th of um, February, you know. And so a lot of people had seen that. And so when that the time came around, it was just, it was unbelievable, the number of people. I mean, we, we had 5,000 people through the door 
we had bouncy castles and 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 food trucks and things wow. here. But what was extraordinary was that just about everybody who I spoke to over that time, you know, who who and Nelson friends Nelson, they said, yeah, no, we were going to come, but there was such a crowd, there was so hard to get a park. We thought we'll come back another time. Yeah, and you know, so we had five thousand people through. I imagine the entire population of Nelson came by and uh, and came looking to you know get in here. So and it was phenomenal. It was just so warming. You know, we had the kids. We had a local school. They'd written a song and they sang the song with the brass band and you know, and and we had our farmers here. We had three farmers over from peanut farmers over from Australia. Yep. And um, and they were able to meet the people who were buying their peanuts, and they realised just what, how much their their produce was appreciated. What a big, what a big deal it is! Yeah, loading up trucks and being arguing with somebody about how much they're going to give them per, per ton of stuff, you know, or, you know, but to actually be here, and you know, we had one of these farmers who spent all day just shaking people's hands at the door. It was so moving, you know. And Wonderful. you know that I think. Um, I'm really not surprised because I, I think the brand is obviously you've got such intense brand loyalty. People love it. Uh, that's mm. you know you again I used a technical term. That's brand advocacy. You know you've got mm. you know uh, half of Nelson or most of Nelson out there advocating for for the brand. I mean that you can't mm. buy that. That's so so incredibly valuable. I think, I think you need to make a distinction. You know brands and companies. I think brands are a bit of nonsense these days yep. because we. If, you know, a brand, you know, brand that gets flicked around from one big international to another. Uh-huh. You know, it's sort of, but it's the company, and it's the company behind the brand that I think is where the heart of a business is. You know, wow. it's the people who it's in the, the company. That the brand is just a, you know, something that you trademark, and you know. But I think a company is. That's that's what. You need to be a company that people want to give their money it's, to. It's making it real, as you, as you yeah, said yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the problem we set out to solve in this episode was how to launch a brand with no money, get heaps of attention, and look like a complete superstar. Our branding experts, Rachel from The Healthy Brand Company and John Michael from The Image Group, revealed what goes on behind the scenes to make a brand or product launch successful and why it's so important for the trajectory of any business. And we've also heard some real-life stories from our entrepreneur guests, Pick Pico at Pick's Peanut Butter and Andre Eichmeyer from Vino Mofo. I hope their wisdom and insights have given you ideas to crack the code to growth in your own business. For me, however, there are several important takeaways from this episode. Firstly, you need to plan extensively for all three stages of a launch campaign, the pre-phase, the actual launch itself, and the post phase. As Rachel said, you especially need to follow up. You must devote the necessary time and resources to cement those new relationships you've worked so hard to develop. Secondly, leveraging your personal networks is crucial. As we heard from John Michael, this is the first thing he looks for when working with new clients. You should make a list of all the personal connections you can use to drive interest and engagement in your launch. This includes family, but importantly, we're not talking about social media networks here. We're talking about real people with whom you have some form of genuine relationship. Thirdly, harness the power of community. As Andre said, communities don't just form around a product, they form around shared values or what you stand for. It's an emotional connection. 
If you can build a community around your business first, then your launch will be easier and more powerful. I thought it was really telling that Pick nominated his local community in Nelson, New Zealand, as the single biggest reason why the launch of Peanut Butter World was so successful. The locals have obviously formed a strong emotional bond with the business. As we heard in the ACDC story at the top of the episode, a launch campaign can propel the brand to extraordinary heights if done well. The stats show that it often takes a new business two or three years to become profitable. And for some technology ventures, it may take double that or even longer. So yes, it can be a long way to the top for entrepreneurs. But a brand launch is an opportunity to fast track the business to your vision of success. We're coming to the end, but before we go, it's time for our regular segment, Nerd Under Pressure, where a guest has to share one killer hack or tip they recommend for you, our listeners. Let's find out who our Nerd Under Pressure is today. Recurring segment in, in Nerds of Business, uh, it's called... Nerd Under Pressure. <laughs> under Pressure. <laughs> so... So, John, you know you're the you're the the branding nerd, the reputation nerd. You know all about this stuff and and lots of other things besides. Um, can you give us today one killer tip for entrepreneurs on how to launch a brand and look like a superstar with almost no money? I'm going to give you five seconds thinking time. Your time starts now. Um, so. Uh, basically, I suppose the greatest hack I can give you right now is f- feel abundant, yep. not scarce. Yep. Yeah. Scarcity detracts people away from you. Yes. Okay. So that's where I'm coming from that. Of course, I'm a big supporter of the homeless. Okay. And anyone else that is, um, you know, that is having a tough but that's not what I meant. I, what I mean basically is look abundant. Look abundant. Okay? Now, yeah. I- I think that's great advice, but I think for our listeners, it's important to deconstruct that a little bit. Because if you look desperate, people run away. Yes. Okay, that's what I'm getting at, you know, and and that's where I'm coming from. I mean, you get the humanistic element here. I'm fair income about that. Uh, But, you know, on a a, a From a consumer psychology perspective is what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah, I get it. Spot on. Yeah. I'm glad you get it. No, I get it, and and I think listeners will too. And it's a very important point. Um, so, and your listeners, by the way, when 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 they're watching this, they can look at your shirt, Darren. Right? Have a look at your shirt. The checks are matching, right? Now, a poor shirt, the checks would not be matching. Yes. Because it's it's you know, and I, I know that's like crazy. What the hell are you talking about? But it's cut differently, meaning the fabric that they use is a lot less than that. This has got symmetry. Yes. It's got symmetry. Thank you very much. Congruence. Congruence. It also has the effect of, of slimming me down, John, which is the main reason I got it. But that's And that's fantastic because you know, checks normally don't slim you down. So that's uh you've done a magic job there. <laughs> Special check. <laughs> so thanks for listening to the third episode of Nerds of Business. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us climb up the ranks and become more visible to other people just like you. So we're obviously all about wanting to help entrepreneurs and businesses. And by leaving a review, you'll be able to help us help others. 
If you've got a question or some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can engage with us at webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. That's webbuzz.com.au forward slash nerds. So feel free to reach out and say hello. I want to thank all our guests and the team at WebBuzz for helping me put this show together. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode, which is rebranding. Why it's hot, when is the right time, and how to make it satisfying for all. Until then, I'm your host, Darren Moffat, and I look forward to nerding out with you next time. Bye for now.